Our scripture reading today comes from both Matthew and Philippians. That's page 808 and 809 and page 980 in the Pew Bible. I will be reading the Matthew passages. This is Matthew 3, 1 through 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And we also have chapter 4, verses 12 through 22. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in the darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. The next scripture comes from Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11, and this can be found on 980 in the Pew Bible. So so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who thought who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Hear the word of God. Thanks be to God. So grateful for um, our worship teams. Uh, as you can imagine, it was a nightmare uh, out there yesterday. Uh, and so um, they just came in this morning to be able to um, 
to practice, and they all make so many sacrifices to, to lead us into God's presence. We're so grateful for all of you. Wow, uh, one of the, one of the uh, questions that everybody has been asking me is, what were you thinking when all that was going down uh, last, uh, last Friday? Um, several of you have asked, um, were you wishing that you had clean underwear on? And, and I have to admit, yes, that was a thought that went through my mind. Um, probably a, a bigger one for me was I wish I'd cleaned my office before this because I did not know how long I would be out there and how many people would have to go find papers in my office. But you know what really, um, what really I noticed was how important words seem when, um, when you don't know what the future holds. Does that make sense? Um, so I could see something was going on. I realized that if the Lord were to take me home in the next few minutes, then the last words that I would say would be very important words. And to be able to uh, say, I love you to people that you love, to be able to really emphasize what's important um, is, is a very special gift. Of course, um, the moment that you're out of danger, then you start worrying about insignificant things again, right? You know, all those other things start coming back. And I guess that's a lesson that I hope that I don't lose, that I don't forget how important every word that we say is. And and especially if you have limited words that you can share with people, what would those words be? I think that's what I love about where we're going in our worship service. Over the next few weeks, you'll remember that we're going to unpack the single greatest teaching the world has ever known. We've been spinning up for the last couple of weeks. I'm so grateful for Chad and Bill and other people who stepped in last week to cover for me. I think that you might have gotten from that. I don't know where they ended up going, but where where we might have got from that is the importance, the absolute importance of putting into practice what what we say, right? Um, building your house on the rock, putting God's word into practice. But today I want to I want to go back and say if you have a very limited um, ability to communicate something, what would that be? And, and you can't ask it in terms of ends of life, but you can also uh, 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 understand it in terms of if you have a very brief encounter with someone, what is the aftertaste of their being with you? If you have a brief encounter with someone and can only say a couple of words, what would that be? Uh, we know that, that all of God's word is for us. This whole entire thing is the very word of God. You heard Kim and Doug say that the very word of God for us, all of its important uh, we'll be spend eternity unpacking the truths that are in there. But if you had to summarize it, then at some point you would you would need to do it in a more concise way. And it, to a certain extent, God did that through Moses, right? Um, was saying if you only could get ten things from this, what would that be? And 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 Moses, uh, God spoke through Moses and gave us what we understand as the ten commandments. These these ten essentials that are really important and. But even 10, I mean, if I were to ask you right now, could you remember all 10 of those? And we could probably piece them together. To, uh, together, we could piece them together. But, but uh, many of us would be pressed to, um, to uh, get all 10 of those. And so then we go back to Jesus' even more concise summary of, of this whole Bible, right? He said, all this, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments, right? Remember that? We've looked at them extensively together. Help me. Love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind 
and all your strength. And the second is like unto it? Absolutely. Love your neighbor as, as yourself. So Jesus kind of called that down uh, for us as well into, into two things to anchor. He said everything else is summarized by these things. But, but in, our, in our passage even that we'll be studying over the next 12 weeks, in the, um, in the Sermon on the Mount is this summary verse as well. Um, this verse that goes something like this, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? What do we call that by any teachers in the room? Golden rule, right? The culture recognizes that. And it comes from this passage we're studying. So, so um, if you only had, and I'm not recommending that you go to a restaurant and say to the waitress, do work. I'm not recommending that you do that. But, but recognize that when you only have a few words to be able to, um, to summarize something, it's going to be really critical what you say. What's astounding for me as I, as I prepare for this passage today, and again, we'll start next week. I'll give you some heads up on how to approach um, Matthew 5, 1 through 12 next week. But, but um, as we, as we kind of lay the groundwork for this most incredible of teachings, I recognize that Jesus did that. Three things happened that were really important. You can actually see them. You can actually see them if you'll keep your fingers open back to that Matthew chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4. You can see them. First, back all the way with John the Baptist. I'm going to move this so we don't get that feedback. And, and when John the Baptist came, Jesus' cousin came to prepare the way for the Messiah who was to come. He had a, a, a very brief message. This is the only message to, that, that, that we have from John the Baptist. And in chapter 3, verse 2, he, he said, Here it is. Here's the summary of my message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This powerful truth that, that, that um, everything that you've longed for, everything that you've looked for, the single guiding force of the universe is right here at your fingertips. It's right here. And you've got to prepare for it, John said. You've got to prepare for it. But then if you look over a couple pages, we see some amazing things happen. Uh, Jesus, in this, in this amazing thing, submitted to the baptism that John was giving on our behalf. And God honored that by, by speaking to him those words that have fed my soul over and over again. God said, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved son whom, whom I'm well pleased. Um, Wow, I can't tell you how many times I've gone back to that. How many times I've challenged you. If Jesus is in you, then you are his beloved daughter with whom he is well pleased. No, no way. No way, Pastor Dave. Yes way. If you have entrusted your life to Jesus, then you are his beloved son. And he loves you and he likes you and he wants to be in relationship with you. Does that mean you're going to not have obstacles? Not at all. The next thing, immediately it says, um, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And we see this amazing thing where Jesus is taken back to that exact situation that Adam faced. And this time he's victorious. 
Jesus holds the line and he's able to stand in the midst of temptation on our behalf and, and, and rebuke the evil one and overcome and as a, as a result became a source of life for us. So Jesus goes where Adam and Eve couldn't. He does what they couldn't do and he prepares the way for a simple truth, a very simple truth that comes in the next verses, right? My Bible says Jesus begins his ministry, right? And then in verse 17, at that time, Jesus began to proclaim. And we were talking in our Sunday school classes about how important uh, it was in a world without multimedia, without um, the opportunity for mass communication to give a consistent message. What was the message that Jesus gave? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Wow. And if you jump ahead for a second, up over to Matthew chapter 10, and you see that Jesus sent out His disciples. He challenged them to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out Demons, and he challenged them to proclaim the gospel. What was it that, that he challenged them to proclaim? Guess what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it's really important as we prepare for the single greatest teaching the world has ever known to ask ourselves, what is this truth that Jesus is saying, that John said, that Jesus said, that Jesus commissioned us to tell other people something is nearby, something powerful is at hand. What is it? What is the kingdom of God? Let me just summarize by saying um, there's, there's a lot of different perspectives out there, but it, at its very simplest, the kingdom of God is the place where God reigns, right? Does that make sense? The kingdom of God is the place where God reigns. Now, immediately you're thinking, well, I'm thinking of the kingdom of Monaco, right? Or, or the kingdom of the uh, Great Britain or something like that. We're not used to it in our culture, but a kingdom is a place where there is, where there is a, a ruler, where there is a, a, a sovereign being and us. Not just a, a memory or a statue in the corner, but that person is actively controlling every aspect of our lives. As we said in our Sunday school class, if that person says, breathe, you breathe. If that person says, don't breathe, you don't breathe. We're not used to that in our culture, but it's a critically important thing for us to recognize that God did use it. That God does understand it. The kingdom of God is the place where God is actively reigning. And as, as I mentioned a moment ago, you cannot think about a kingdom without thinking about a king, without thinking about a sovereign, a man or a woman who has ultimate responsibility for everybody else under their care. The kingdom of God means that God has ultimate responsibility for everything under our care. Now, again, we're not used to it because we don't live in that situation, but the people that Jesus was speaking to did. They understood completely what that meant. In fact, they were required to proclaim their, their, um, their filial relationship with their sovereign. But their sovereign wasn't Jesus. They were familiar with the phrase in the first century Israel of Kaiser Kurios. Kaiser Kurios. I don't know that I understood until this week 
Um, you always hear that word Kaiser for like a German or a Russian, right, or something. Um, but that, that word Kaiser is directly related to the word Caesar, right? You hear that? You see that? Caesar is Lord. Kaiser, Christ. There were, that, was their, that was their test of relationship. Are you in or are you out? Are you able to say Caesar is Lord? Are you able to say um, that, that he is your sovereign? Or is there a different reality? It's interesting in, in our culture, um, we don't have this situation. Don't ever confuse a president with a sovereign. Um, we're, we um, we're experience the effects of, of presidential decisions, of Congress's decisions, of the, the kind of community that we live in, a, a democratic republic. We are we experience the effects of that, but and, and we and we as followers of Jesus, knowing who our true sovereign is, willingly submit to the rules of our culture. Most of them, except speed limits, um, we we willingly submit to them, right? Because we know that we have another another sovereign. But when that day comes where they ask you to say verbally, no, let me, I'm just making this up. Don't, don't think something political here, but Donald Trump is Lord, right? Um, you, you would not be able to do that, right? You can, you can, you can submit to the legislation that he, that he initiates. You can submit to other things, but there comes a point where you have to distinguish, am I a servant of this person or who am I a slave to? And, and, um, and in Jesus' day, they could willingly submit to all kinds of unreasonable expectations that Caesar placed on them. Uh, things that would just absolutely chill your blood and curl your hair. Um, they could willingly submit to that, but they could not submit to this phrase, Caesar is Lord. And so we have some elaborate confessions. Our Westminster Confession is a massive document portraying most of what we understand to be true about God, about community, about the world that we live in. But the simplest, at its simplest, the first creed of the church was simply those three words. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. I can give, I can give on countless other things, but I cannot give on this. Well, here's the crazy, here's the craziness of our culture today. Again, we're not going to be asked, is Trump Lord? Is um, Spencer Lord? We're not going to be asked those questions. No, there's even a more insidious threat to our faith here. And that is, that is not Kaiser Kurios, but it is Ego Kurios. Ego Kurios. In other words, I am Lord. I am Lord. The biggest threat probably in our culture to the Lordship of Jesus is not some political party or political person. The biggest threat is our own self-lordship. I don't know why, but the pun is just running through my head. Lego my ego, right? I got to let go of my ego. That's the same word. I got to let go of it. I've got to let go of my ego. I'm sorry, I could not resist that. I don't know where it came from. Um, I've got to let go of my self-lordship. So what is the kingdom of God? It is real, beloved. 
It is the place where God rules and reigns. Now, you understand, I'm not talking about physical place. I'm, I'm just assuming you understand. I'm not talking about this building. I'm not talking about even Israel, that country. The, the place has to do with the heart. It has to do with the place in our lives that, that God holds. And the kingdom of God is that place where God reigns supreme. I also don't want you to hear judgment or condemnation in this because none of us, none of us lives this out perfectly or even close to perfectly. Um, until that day when, when, as we'll talk about in a few moments, when Jesus comes again, it's going to be an imperfect uh, relationship with our King. But that's why Jesus came, to overcome that imperfectness. So the kingdom of God is the place where God reigns. But when is it coming? There's a couple of false things out there. You explored one of them, some of you in your studies this morning. And again, um, if you have not had a chance um, to join with us on Thursday nights in homes and Wednesday nights here and Sunday mornings, many of us are exploring the Sermon on the Mount through this gift from James Bryan Smith called the Good and Beautiful Life. It's the title for our series as well, but it's an awesome opportunity with other people to explore at a deeper level um, this call of the Sermon on the Mount. And, and in it, it'll help you understand some of the false narratives that our culture carries, but also then the true narratives that Jesus is inviting us to. There's a couple of them having to do with this issue of when. I have to tell you that when I became a follower of Jesus, it was in a Christian culture that was all about timing. That was all about, especially in times. Anybody else come from that kind of a a background. I mean, we had it figured out, you know, to the moment almost, you know, how things would work. We didn't set a date on it. We were too smart for that. But we, we just said, this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen. Now, 40 years later, I realized um, a lot of what I thought was true was not, was not true. The, um, we're not talking about when this stuff comes, but, but there's a false narrative that speaks to that, that says the kingdom of God has already come and everything you're ever going to experience about the kingdom is already here. Therefore, we have to now carry the ball on the kingdom. There's no more help coming. That's that deist perspective again. God started this. He got us involved, got Jesus involved, and now he's standing back and waiting and watching and one says, he's already come, you've had your chance. Um, but there's another one as well, and that is that, that it has not yet come, and we can't know, and we can't, it's totally in the future still to come. So there's no use speculating about it. Two, two poles in which somewhere in between is the reality, somewhere in between is the truth. Um, let me take a sidebar for a second because it's going to be important for us as we come back to this when question to answer a, a, a greater question. We explored it a couple of weeks ago. What is the gospel? What is this message we saw here that, that John the Baptist is saying? I'm going to change the word slightly. The kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, it was nearby. It was coming, but they, they couldn't access it yet. And then Jesus says the same words, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But what he really means now is to say, the kingdom of God is here. 
It's here right now. You can touch it. You can access it. You can invite it into your life. So when we ask the question, when is the kingdom uh, coming? The answer is it's already here, but it's not yet fully consummated, right? You haven't experienced all of it. I don't know. Um, I don't know how to understand this other than to think for a second about another parallel. I don't know if I can do this or not. But um, think about King David. If you know anything about King David in the Old Testament and the people to whom Jesus was speaking understood it completely. King David, remember when he was anointed king, right? Uh, they did it secretly, right? They, uh, they did it secretly and, and, and nothing changed after that. It or appeared like nothing changed. God had said, this is my king. But there was another king still reigning and he reigned for years to come. Saul was in place and in this mystery, there was two kingdoms coexisting at once. The kingdom of God through David and the kingdom of Saul. They were coexisting. And, and, and I didn't understand it. I still don't completely understand it. But, but David patiently waited. He honored the situation that he was in and waited for the full consummation of his kingdom. And it didn't come till years and years later. There was this in-between time. And we live in this in-between time. The kingdom of God has come with all its glory with all its power, all those things are available. But it's not yet fully consummated. Remember we said it over and over again, where's Jesus right this moment? Where is he? Pardon me? Yeah, yeah, he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us, right? Praying for us. But he gave us a hint about what he's doing. Remember he said in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, he said to his disciples, you and me, if I go, then I will come back to take you to be with me so that where I am, you also may be. So so we know that, that Jesus has come and Jesus is coming again. And we're living in that in between time where we have all the resources we need to live the Christ life, but where the kingdom of heaven is not yet consummated. Do you understand this? The lordship of Jesus Christ is not simply a hope that Christians of Christians that, that someday might be realized. Hope is good. Hope is wonderful. The hope that I could make a full recovery from my heart attack makes, drives me. So, wow, that is totally, that is totally life-giving. Hope is good. But the Lordship of Jesus Christ is not just a hope. It's a truth. It's a truth that has already taken place. Jesus Christ is Lord, that's what I love so much. I think it was Kim that read it. In, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul explains to us this whole meaning behind Jesus' life. He came and humbled himself and, and lived among us, first of all, as a human being, but then as a, a poor human being, coming into the world as a, a baby, absolutely helpless. He lived the life that we couldn't live, that we didn't live 
And then He offered Himself, not just in our place, but, but in a humiliating uh, circumstance, He offered Himself a criminal's death on a cross for us, right? But, and, if, and if, that's where it st- if that's where it stopped, the story stopped, then we would, then we would be uh, impoverished. But it doesn't, right? It doesn't. Therefore, I love it, therefore, God gave him a name which is above every name, right? That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess. What are they going to confess? That Jesus Christ is Lord. When they do, God receives glory. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That's not the issue. The issue is, when will they do it? One day Jesus will come again, beloved. He will come and we will physically see Him. I'm stumbling because, because one of my sisters is in a cult that, that confuses this and believes that Jesus has already come again. There are so many false truths out there. But every time I speak to her, I say, I'm not going to use her name. Sis, every, every, when Jesus comes again, everyone will see it. There's not going to be any doubt. Everyone. Followers of Jesus, non-followers of Jesus, everyone will see it. And everyone will know. And, and the end of life as we know it will come. The question for us is not, will He come again? He is coming again. The question is, what will happen in us before that happens? What will happen in us before that happens? If you are a follower of Jesus, then you are a member of this new community, this new, whether it's specifically with this particular body or not, you are a member of this community called the body of Christ, called the church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus has tasked us with a job. And that task for us is to make what is invisible to the world visible. How? Is Jesus going to become real to a world that can't see him by followers of Christ who live the Christ life? By followers of Jesus who, as Chad taught last week, who put the word of God into practice. As followers of Jesus who will take these words that we're going to study for the next ten weeks, the, the, the words of the single greatest teaching the world has ever known and put them into practice. You do that. You do that, and the kingdom of God will be visible. I'm getting so excited. The kingdom of God will be visible. You approach it like we're prone to approach it in, in our culture. Uh, um, you know, did it really say, uh, did it really mean if you hedge your bets, the kingdom of God will not be visible? And people whom God wanted to see Jesus in you will not see him. They will not see him. So it's our task, the task of the church of Jesus Christ, to make what is invisible, in, uh, make it visible. I realize that probably the slides are out of order um, um, because I switched this just this morning. I was trying to do better and get my work done earlier so that Carol can carry some of my workload and... Um, 
but I'm never satisfied with that. I want to stop here for a second and ask these crucial questions, right? If this is true, if Jesus Christ is Lord, and if, um, if in, in fact, the, um, myself or me, I am the greatest hindrance of that, the greatest danger is ego of me, not Kaiser Kurios, right? Ego, ego Kurios. Then what questions will help me understand that? Two, first of all, whose kingdom do you serve? There's so much great wisdom in our world about how to provide for yourself. And it's good wisdom. We teach it here. We teach financial wisdom on, on Wednesday night and, and how to live in such a way as, as, to, as to provide for yourself. But we have to be very careful in providing for ourselves that we don't make ourselves the center of our attention, that we don't make ourselves our own kingdom and serve that. That's why we need each other. To ask hard questions. You guys are being so good about asking me hard questions about my lifestyle changes. Um, uh, but we've got to ask each other hard questions. How are you doing with the Lordship of Christ? Whose kingdom are, are you serving? And, and another question that helps us differentiate that is this question. Does your life demonstrate that you are a servant of God or does it demonstrate that you are a servant of of yourself. Do you understand the difference between... Isn't that the same question you just asked, Pastor Dave? It's good to ask, whom are you serving? But if some stranger were looking in the window and looking at your life and not being able even to hear your voice necessarily, just watching what you do, how does your life demonstrate that Christ is Lord? Wow. Wow. Some excellent helps to say... Where am I on this journey? Well, let me end by saying, how can we experience this kingdom now? It might be out of order in your notes. I apologize for that. How do we experience the kingdom of God now? Not n- note that everyone does and will experience the kingdom of God. Every knee will bow one day. Everybody does experience it right now. They may not call it that. And everybody will experience the kingdom of God in some way. But the goal is to experience the love of God now so that we don't experience the judgment of God later. And right here, some some critical things. You've heard them a million times. Even those of us who walk with the Lord for decades need to hear them again. First, receive the invitation. Receive the invitation. It is an invitation, and I'm borrowing the pun from a title of our series, uh, The Good and Beautiful Life. It is an invitation to a life that God blesses. And I'm saying that in a way as a, a word, a key to understanding what you're going to study in the coming weeks. When you study the Beatitudes, it's really easy to feel self-condemnation because your life doesn't matches, doesn't match what If you understand the Beatitudes to be how your life should look, your life does not match that. My life does not match that. Mother Teresa's life does not match that, right? It's really easy to slide into self-condemnation when you see that. But don't hear condemnation. Hear invitation. 
What Jesus is saying is if you are poor in spirit, then understand that, that you are blessed by God. If you are mourning and grieving, understand that you are blessed. Why? How could that possibly be a blessing of God? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You can reach out and touch it. And it can reach in and grab you. So understand first that Jesus is giving you an invitation. You. How will you respond? Secondly, repent of your self-lordship. And you notice I didn't use the word sins because when I say repent of your sins, it becomes just that buzzword, that, that phrase that we've heard so many times and it, and it no longer lands. So I sharpened it a little bit and said, repent of your self-lordship. If Jesus is Lord of your life, you've got to repent. Have a change of mind, Right? That leads to a change of will. That leads to a change of action. You've got to change from your self-lordship to the lordship of Christ. And a simple little question can help you do that. God, what would it look like for me this afternoon if you were genuinely Lord of my life? What would it look like? Repent. Turn from one thing to something else. But then, picking up Romans 10, 9 and 10, believe in your heart and confess it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God validated His Lordship by raising Him from the dead. Believe in the miracle of resurrection. Because it's God's validation that everything that Jesus said and did was true. Was true. At some point, enter in. Let yourself put your weight down. That's simply the faith word, right? Trust in what Jesus has done. And then as Chad challenged you last week, put the words of Jesus into practice. And that's kind of, worship team, come on up if you would. That's kind of where I wanted to go for just a minute with you for a second. Uh, because when you start to understand the words of God, you're going to say, I, I am not good at this. How in the world can I live in such a way that I can put God's word into practice? Let me just say up front, you can't. You can't. Okay, let's go home, right? You can't do it. Um, you can't. But God has already given you something to enable you to do it. Do you remember when Jesus was trying to explain to his disciples why there would be this in-between time? Why there would be time where he would be gone from them? This time that we're still in? This time before he would return for his own? Remember he said, I'm going to give another one to you that's just like me, a, a counselor, I'm going to give to you uh, uh, the gift that will enable you to live in this in-between time. And that gift, first we receive the gift of the Son of God, the, the, the second person of the Trinity for us. And then Jesus says, I'm going to gift you with the third person of the Trinity. And the difference between the second and the third is that this person will never leave you. He'll live in you. God's Holy Spirit will fill you. And through that Holy Spirit, you will have 
the power to live out the Word of God. We're going to need it, beloved, in the coming days. But through the Holy Spirit of God, we will have the power to live out the Word of God. And as we said earlier, if we, if we can do that, it's going to be totally counterintuitive. It's going to be against everything that your self-lordship has, has ingrained in you that is best for you. If you can live out the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, then the world will see the kingdom of God. They will see Jesus in you. And it will be so winsome that they will, they will come to you and say, help me understand. Tell me what it is about you that seems so alive. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. That he, though he is sovereign and he is Lord, that he patiently waited for that day. And God, for some that may be right now, when we were able to say, I recognize that I'm, I can't live this way any longer. My own strength is not enough. My own wisdom, my own cunning is not enough to let me navigate this world, much less the next. God, I surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I surrender myself to Him. Holy Spirit, fill me. Even now, Holy Spirit, reign in me, even now. Yeah.